0: Welcome to another episode of My Hope is Built On with your hosts, David and Dan Ziegler. A show about real people with real stories answering the question, what is your hope built on? May this week's episode bring you some hope. So welcome again to another episode of My Hope is Built On. And today I have another amazing guest on here, Bobby Kahn. And Bobby is uh, Again, lately, I've been trying to reach out and find different folks to interview, and Bobby uh, and I met through a platform that allows us to make connections, and we got to, I got to read her story and hear a little bit more about who she is in terms of listening to some things that she does, and I just thought, you know, this would be an amazing person to have on the show because I think she has a lot to glean from in terms of hope and where her hope is. And so, Bobby, without stealing too much of your thunder, why don't you just go ahead and share with everybody a little bit about yourself? And uh, we'll get going.
1: Yeah. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Um, my name is Bobby Kahn, and I grew up in Eastern Kentucky. I live in Kentucky uh, now, still in Appalachia. And, um, you know, I grew up dealing with all of the socioeconomic and other uh, cultural sort of stereotypes that one might associate with Eastern Kentucky. Um, and just grew up with a lot of difficult circumstances at times. Mm. Um, but I also always found myself um, really in love with the landscape around me because Appalachia is a place of unrivaled beauty. Mm. And um, I had some other really positive influences and um, you know elements of my life that um, were a big part of the hope that I was able to continue to draw on. Mm. And um, eventually I wrote a memoir that uh, is in no small part inspired by the desire to help other people find hope, um, especially when they may feel like, you know the cards are stacked against them and that you know, life has been too difficult or they've made too many um, unfortunate choices so far and they're not sure how to turn things around. Right
0: now, that's really good. So, and like I, I was saying earlier is that it, I just felt like, you know, your your book and what your, your story sounds like, it really aligns well with about bringing hope to people. So with that being said, uh, you know, Bobby, the first question is always, um, what, uh, when you think of hope, what does hope mean to you?
1: You know, I've been thinking about that um, in preparation for our talk today and What I've landed on, I think the most succinct way for me to put it is to say, you know, hope for me is understanding that things always change Mm. and I'm not in control of how everything is going to go. And that might sound a little um, counterintuitive because we like, we associate safety with, you know, things staying the same and Um, having some sense of control over our lives. Mm. Um, But for me, like I've always needed hope when things were, you know, dark and uh, felt helpless or um, like they weren't going well. And what gave me hope in those moments is knowing it's not going to stay this way forever. Mm. And I can't predict what's going to happen, but I have every reason to believe there is more good to come that I can't, I just can't foresee it. Yeah. And that has brought me a lot of hope in my darker moments.
0: Yeah, so in, in other words, you're basically saying that, you know, I can't control the situation, but I can control my response to the situation is is what you're really saying, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. And when you grow up um, in a, a world of chaos, like I did as yeah. a child, um, you know, I entered adulthood sort of um, reflecting all of that chaos that I had internalized. And when I began working on myself and after I made some progress, uh, what I realized is that chaos is all around us. And if you don't try to control it and you don't let it control you, but you're able to make peace with it, Mm. then, you know, you can, you can tap into that piece inside of yourself in you know, lots of different situations. And I'm sure plenty of people have had to do that in more trying situations than I have, um, but it's certainly helped me a lot over the past, you know, 10 or 15 years.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and I can understand that. And, and you wanna know something too though, is I, I think what you're saying is really spot on, but really never minimize either what you're going through either you know it's a, you oh, yeah. Don't, yeah whatever you're going through that's real to you in that moment even though somebody may be going through something worse than you it's still very real and and uh, something that you've got to overcome in terms of a mountain in your life right
1: absolutely i mean our suffering is relative yeah. and um you know there is no there is no yardstick i think no, that we can compare by yeah yeah
0: well, you know, the, the, the follow-up question to that is always, um, what what is your hope built on then?
1: You know, I think my hope is, it's built on a lot of different things and kind of necessarily so because um, when I was little, I, you know, I had a few things that gave me hope, but um, it was really hard to kind of come up with anything that lasted forever, mm. right? Um, yeah. My granny was a big part of my foundation as a child. She was a, the safe person and her home was a safe place for me. Um, you know but as I became a, a young adult, I realized you know I couldn't go well, when I was a young adult I didn't have sense enough to go to her. <laughs> Um, And then as I became a little older, she passed away in my um, later 20s, you know, and I was really angry to lose her. Um, And then eventually I realized, you know, she couldn't fix things for me and no one else could fix things for me. So I had to figure out how to fix them myself. Um, So, you know, but I still borrowed from like the love that I had felt from her and also um a lot of the experiences of beauty that I've witnessed
2: mm-hmm. in the
1: natural world um and then just you know moments of joy like connecting with my children or um having a triumph in you know having my book published you know um it, it's none of those moments I think are enough to um, ride the, the waves on for the rest of your life. But I think that we have to look back to them and say, you know, I had joy in this moment. You know, I had this sense of elation and purpose and I could have more of that and basically just put in the work that you have to do to prepare yourself and make sure you're ready to experience it when the circumstances align. Yeah, Yeah,
0: no, that makes a lot of sense. And I I think we all have had important people in our lives and that played a pivotal point in terms of us finding some hopefulness in in those things. So you you use the term chaos. I love the term chaos in my life. And uh, is there any particular chaotic moment where you can share with us, you know, in terms of Um, you know, where you were at that place of hopelessness and then how, again, talking through what you just shared, how did you really pull yourself to a place of finding hope?
1: Yeah, Um, so as an adult, what comes to mind is um, there was a moment where I was a single mother of, um, my son was eight and my daughter was one. And I had uh, moved out of an abusive relationship mm. um, into a house that I was renting. Um, the, the you know, My daughter being so young, I, I had just graduated from grad school and I hadn't started a new career um, with my new graduate degree. So I got work as an adjunct faculty Um, at the university where I would graduated from right before she was born. But I thought that I was going to have more classes to teach than I did. Uh So uh, when I left, it turned out the the semester that began, um, they typically gave us two classes rather than three. So my entire budget was out the window. Um, I had two thirds the income that I thought I was going to have. Uh And I was just you know, I was really angry. That's my granny started dying around that time too.
2: Okay.
1: Um, she, she had cancer mm. and it was very fast in the progression. And she also had heart problems. So I'd been taking her to doctor's appointments for the heart problems
2: right.
1: when they discovered the cancer. Um, and I didn't have uh, supportive friendships. I didn't have, you know, any healthy relationships. And so one day I was sort of walking around this rental house, which also, it was a great reflection of my misery. It was run down, you know, felt like it hadn't been truly clean since the 1970s. And um, I was just walking around kind of angry and fuming about how unfair things were and how, you know, it didn't, it wasn't right. And I was victim basically of all these different people and circumstances mm. and I um it hit me like a ton of bricks all of a sudden because I was thinking how are you know how am I having all these like unhappy circumstances unhealthy relationships none of them look like they don't have anything in common and uh what I realized was I am the common denominator in all of these circumstances and all of these situations. And, um, you know, I, that was a lot to try to wrap my head around. Yeah. But what I realized in that moment was that with all of the chaos uh, and me being the common denominator and all of these unhealthy, chaotic situations, I could only work on myself mm-hmm. um, and I needed to address what was going on within me instead of thinking that I could somehow, you know, pick different people and create different circumstances in my life because clearly there was something about me that was drawing this to me or I was unconsciously creating these miserable situations. Mm -hmm. And that set me on a path of, you know, working on myself and really trying to undo a lot of the um, uh, conditioning in my mind that yeah. had occurred in childhood. Yeah.
0: You know, and it's funny you say all that. I mean, I, I do some personal development classes and stuff as well. And, and one of the first things in personal development is self-awareness, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and in order to know, you know, in order to grow, you need to know yourself. And that's the, that's the first thing. And so it sounds like you came to a place of, yeah, I needed to do some self-reflection, self-discovery and, and really begin to understand where it was at and it might not necessarily have been that you were you're a bad individual or anything like that it's just that maybe some things were just stemming from conscious choices that you're making and and the outcome of those choices you know and and that is is that a little bit of what was happening
1: well um not to make excuses because i think we are all ultimately responsible for our our choices um but I've really had to grapple with what it means to experience trauma as a child. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, to see like, one, how does that shape your thoughts, your perceptions? And we understand much better now than ever before, right. you know, how it can literally change, uh, the way a child's brain forms. Um, and, and for me, it was dealing with, um, you know how my tra- the trauma I experienced primed me to, you know, kind of recreate situations in which I was a victim, um, and it drew me to people who reminded me of, you know, the the traumatic relationships in childhood. Yeah, um, and it was all very unconscious and subconscious, um, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't until I was willing to look at it and have someone help me see it for what it was yeah. that I could begin to change it.
0: And, and did that discovery come as a result of talking to somebody or did the discovery come just through your own self-reflection?
1: I think that talking with someone else was really uh, instrumental for me. Yeah. Because basically, so I sought someone out who... Um, like I sought her out because of her interest in like holistic modalities and um, like a more spiritual approach rather right. than just therapy. Right. Um, I've been in therapy since I was 15, and that was not a very effective tool for me. Right. So, you know, I wanted something that was more, um, you know, basically spiritually driven than anything. Um, but this woman that I worked with initially, she, she was just very straightforward and direct about what she saw my thinking, my, you know, my thought process to involve. And, um, she kind of modeled for me how I could stop and ask myself, like, if I'm having a feeling of anger, okay, what am I angry about? What do I think this situation should be? Mm. You know? What am I telling myself is wrong or should be different, or you know, and so she would really interrogate my thought processes. And after doing that for a little while, I was able to do it on my own. But I I do think that having someone to help me get started with that was paramount.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny when you're talking about that. I'm as I'm thinking to it, it it started reminding me too that when you're in that moment of the victim mentality, you're in a hopeless state mm-hmm. and it really is shifting that hopeless and, and finding hope somewhere in. And, and so for a lot of people, that's hard to do. I mean, sometimes hopelessness is a very dark place and, and it's hard to see light at the end of the tunnel or to find that hope at the end of the tunnel. And how would you, What would you suggest to somebody, especially, you know, you you got a background of being coming out of abusive relationship, being a single mother and all those things, you know, and and a lot of and a lot of women today are dealing with that, that stuff. So how would you, especially to the women specifically, if they're feeling, man, I brought this all on myself or they're feeling as a victim and maybe it's, you know, but it's not. It's a it's a consequence. Yeah. Of situations, but you have an opportunity to change that. And how would you to talk to somebody like that?
1: Well, one of the things that I started doing that I think is a, a nice little trick um, of the brain, you know, in my like darkest, darkest moments where I didn't care yeah. about changing the narrative. I didn't care about, you know, like I, I was in such a dark place that I I was basically unable to access my like kind of mental tools. Mm. Um or spiritual tools. What I decided to start doing was because you know if you can give your brain a little boost of dopamine or yeah. serotonin, whatever the good the good chemicals, um, the good hormones that'll flood through our brain. Right. You know, I thought that's a good way to sort of like jolt myself out of the darkest, darkest places. Um, so when I found myself there, I started doing things like buying someone's coffee in in a line behind me or um, holding a door open for someone at a grocery store and that sort of thing, you know, just like the little acts of kindness. And I was doing them for very like uh, self-focused reasons um, because I knew I needed that good feeling but thankfully, you know, it does make us feel good to be good to others.
2: Yeah, so
1: yeah. that was that was one of the things that I started doing um, just to kind of like pull myself out of out of the, the trenches. And then the other the other thing, especially for women who are looking at the, their lives and maybe saying, oh, I've you know, I really screwed up and look what I've done and these choices mm. I've made. Um, you know, I've been there absolutely. and I think the important thing to realize is, you're not the only one who, you know, you're not the only one and you're not the worst. Yeah, there is no worst of, you know, the the catalog of unfortunate decisions that a person <laughs> could make in their lifetime. And there is always, um there there is always another there's always the, the opportunity for a different outcome or for your story to go a different way yeah as long as you know we wake up and we're alive the the possibilities are really endless yeah and all you have to do is you know there's so many stories out there about people turning their lives around after addiction, um, you know, being very self-destructive, destructive destructive toward others, um, and then like using their lives for good or having incredible amounts of success. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say, you know, and, and the more of those stories that we read or we listen to, I think the more we open our minds to the possibility of a different kind of story for ourselves. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's really good. Rewrite your story, huh? You're in control of it. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's not over until it's over. And if it's not over, like I I say, you might have to fight for it, but it's, you might as well, right. We're, we're alive. We might as well squeeze every bit of goodness that we can out of a lifetime.
0: Yeah you mentioned something earlier too and, and wanted to go kind of back to that was you, you were raised in in the appalachian area in in kentucky kind of a area that was probably socioeconomically challenged more so than other areas and, um, and and there's many areas like that around the united states that are that are like that right but did you ever find that even in kind of that struggle that there was a little bit of a a, a Kind of a poverty mindset, if you will, that hey, this is the way life is because I see it all around me, so it must just be the way life is. And there was that, and it's never going to be meant to be for me in the cards, kind of thing.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, my father, <clears throat> excuse me, growing up was very, um, you know, he blamed like rich people for mm. our lack of money. And uh, he would rage against uh, bankers and banks and attorneys and like the wealthy families who, I don't know how wealthy they really were, but, you know, kids that I went to class with, the the ones who lived in nice homes. So he was constantly like blaming them for our problems. And, um, you know, I really wanted... Um, even from a young age, I really wanted to be spiritually uh, connected. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it wasn't until I had that realization in my late 20s of, you know, oh, I am creating misery in my own life over and over. It wasn't until then that I realized too that I still felt like I was a poor person and was going to live like a poor person no matter right. what. Right. You know, and that was very much a, a, a vision of myself and not just, you know, not, not an understanding of economics and, right. and how money works or yeah. what it takes to um, overcome poverty.
0: Yeah, and you know, and it's funny because it did it. How long did that take you to even shift that mindset from there?
1: Well, it's it's interesting. Um, Once I started working with the woman that I mentioned, um, and and that year I grossed twenty two thousand dollars. I remember from my tax refund, Um, and there's no telling how I managed to pay the bills, but I worked you know, constantly. And um, I think it was two years later. Yeah, two years later, I got a job out of the blue. A woman emailed me at an old uh, work email address. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hadn't been at that job since before graduate school. But I also um, did some part-time work for them here and there. And I still had my email address happened to see this email from this woman about a job that she couldn't take because she had moved out of state. Mm. And so I took, you know, I interviewed for it. Right. And I got the job. And it immediately like catapulted me and my little family into the middle class. Right. So um but but it was really hard to wrap my head around that. I was yeah. afraid to like lose food stamps and my kids' medical cards because I didn't know if I could make it. Right. And I was so scared that I would mess up and that we would end up homeless. Mm. Um, you know, and I I had to fight against that, that fear, you know, because the the fear will make you do irrational things and it will it will hamper your good decision-making instead of inspiring you to make good decisions yeah, when you're, yeah. when you're acting out of anxiety. Um, so, and it, so it's not just fight against that feeling. It's like trying to find peace and balance mm-hmm. within yourself so that you aren't in that fight or flight mode against yeah. the concept of poverty and fear of homelessness and everything else.
0: Yeah now and it's funny you mentioned all of that because uh and the reason I asked that question too so I, I I've done very well for myself but up until April in April 2019 I actually lost my job and I've been late I've been out of work since April 2019 um so as a course of that I've tried to launch my own business and of course that takes a little time of trying to get your own business off the ground and everything like that but in the meantime I had choices in there how do I how do I really want to perceive my situation today? You know, and, um, you know, and there's days where I do have to battle because I think, man, I can't believe this is happening. You know, I don't know why I'm still here and, you know, and especially at my age and, and I struggle with all those things. But again, that's where, again, my hope being built where it is, is my foundation is trusting in, 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 in God. And so I believe that no matter what this circumstance is, he will prevail and carry me through somewhere. And in the situation will change. And I got to tell you, I still have a roof over my head. I still have all the things that I need. So obviously think I'm being taken care of, you know, it's, but it's but it's amazing how our mind can slip so quickly um, the minute we lose a little bit of hope in that situation.
1: Oh, yeah. That's something I still have to deal with too. Um, yeah. You know, I, I had a moment I think it was last week uh, that I was, I just fretting about something, and then I I was like, okay, let's let's stop for a minute. Do I have food? Yes. Do I have a roof over my head? Yes. Yeah. You know, do I have anything like right in front of me that is truly a threat to my well-being? I was mm-hmm. like, no. And I was like, yeah. All right. So we're we're gonna deal with this in a more like calm, logical way.
2: Yep. Um, yeah.
1: And and not come from, you know, not not let that fear just overwhelm me and yeah. shut down the better parts of my brain.
0: Yeah. And fear is a crippler and it really is.
1: So absolutely.
0: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, you know, I've I really enjoyed our conversation. I'd probably go on all day talking about these types of things, but I don't want to take a a lot of time away from that. I wanted to give you some time, maybe to share with everybody about your book, a little bit more about your book, how they can find your book. We're going to obviously put anything in the show notes or anything like that. And I think I saw a little snippet that you're actually writing something else too. So that's if you want to share about that, that's that's a good idea.
1: Yeah, um, I'll show you a copy of the cover here. It's in the shadow of the valley, which is inspired by the Bible verse. Um, Though so I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if I've got yes. that right. Yep, yep. Um, you know, so I, I did grow up going to church and, um, uh, the, as I've mentioned a couple of times, like the desire for spiritual connection has right. been a big part of my life. Um, you know, even as a child and, um, and that's certainly a big theme in okay. this, um, what I wanted to do with it was I, I really wanted to, well, I wanted to do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of like really lofty plans with this memoir. Um, on one hand, it's the story of growing up in eastern Kentucky in some, you know, in poverty and uh, experiencing abuse, um, and then, you know, drawing on like the beauty that I found in the land and at my granny's house and even at church and, and in the Bible, and then in other books, um, like using those things to help me stay afloat and to help me hold on to hope so that I could begin to transform and become my own person, uh, not like still shaped by those experiences, but not defined or limited Mm -hmm. by them. Um, and I really wanted it to be a story that would, um, you know, just be a, a thing of beauty for the reader um, and hopefully a source of hope for the people who need it. Um, and because I became an avid reader at an early age, I also really love language. And, um, you know, the Bible is full of poetic language. Um, I grew up reading the King James Version yeah. of the Bible and still think of it as the the um, the I guess the most original translation, although there's plenty of those to talk (laughs) about, but that version just had so much poetic language and that was something that I made connections with later in literature that I read and poetry. So I wanted to kind of play with that as well and have a lot of this poetic language to um, evoke emotion and help people connect to the beauty that they experienced as children, and you know, beautiful moments that I think humans have in common, um, which are part of the universal experience. Right. Um, so, you know, that's that's a big part of what I was up to in this memoir, and then in uh, well, next year, hopefully, it'll be early next year, and I'll have a pub date fairly soon that I'll be announcing on uh, my website and social media. But I have a novel that'll be coming out, and right now the title, if it doesn't change, it's called "Before the Storm," and it is loosely inspired by um, some experiences, some stories that I grew up hearing about my great grandparents.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my great grandfather was a moonshiner, and um, he was his heyday was during like the Great Depression, right. and he he was in and out of prison, and uh, so it's not. Um they weren't all uh, like beautiful stories, but they were, it was certainly a powerful mythology to grow up with. And I really wanted to uh, imagine what my great grandmother's life would, it could have been like and what her interior life would have been like. Um, so the novel is historical fiction meets magical realism. Okay. Um, yeah um, magical realism like in the vein of Gabriel Garcia Marquez is my favorite genre uh, or writing style and um, I think it's really suitable for Appalachia in particular like historically with our culture and uh, the landscape so um, you know it too is about like exploring you know, self-empowerment and uh, one's external circumstances and how we're shaped. And then we also find our agency um, given our very specific circumstances in life.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I, actually, I'm really excited. I hadn't had a chance to buy your book yet, but I am going to go, go out and buy it so I could read it. I am looking forward to doing that. And I encourage everybody else who's listening to do the same thing. Um, all the information will be in the show notes so you can catch all that. We'll give you uh, her website so you can stay uh, on her email list to find out when her novel comes out. And that'd be awesome. And uh, again, Bobby, thank you so much for being with us today. And we uh, really enjoyed having you.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right.